to me, one of the great untold stories of the past year and a half has been the incredible transformation of the collectibles and the auction world, not just in how they sell things, but also in what is a collectible? How do we assign value to a collectible? And who are the new collectors? And there's no other company that's been more at the forefront of this than Sotheby's. So Cassandra, it's great to have you today. I want to start out uh, just by giving a few facts and figures about just how technologically advanced Sotheby's has become in the last year. So if you look at online sales, 70% of auctions last year were online. That compares with 30% the year before. 80% of the bids were, last year were placed online. They sold a $15 million painting by Jean-Michel Basquiat. That was the highest price ever attained for an online item. But it, you know, it wasn't just art, it was watches, it was wine, it was cars, it was sneakers, it was handbags, it was you know, furniture, which you couldn't give away before the pandemic. Um, so, so I wanna get to NFTs, but just lead us in a, just a little bit broadly about how this pandemic has changed the way Sotheby's looks at its business and reaching its customers. I think something that the pandemic did was accelerate what we had already started doing. Uh, I think we, we wouldn't have been able to pivot so quickly if we hadn't already had started the processes of getting set up to make it easy for people to bid online. You know, we have a Sotheby's app. You can bid on your phone. It's kind of scary how easy it is to bid. I've almost, you know, and to get out it off my phone and place the bid on something. Um, but it's it's been fantastic uh, how quickly that innovation has happened, especially from the perspective of a specialist who was working from home and still needed to conduct sales. Being able to do this online, using the app, using the website, using the various digital tools that we have, our digital catalogs, is it was key to being able to get through the pandemic. And we realized that our clients loved it. They loved to interact with the objects and what we were selling in that way. So, um, I mean, the pandemic was horrible, but it was it helped us refine what we were already working on. And it was just amazing to me, all the things that people said people would never pay X for anything that they purchased online, or they would never buy a classic car online, or they would never buy a major painting online, and just record after record getting broken. So I want to get to the main topic here, which is NFTs. And before, I want you to define it for us, but before that, I want to get to Sir Tim Berners-Lee, that source code for the World Wide Web that was an NFT of that source code selling for $5 million. There were a lot of tweets afterward, people saying, did we just sell the web? Is, mm -hmm. is someone like Justin Sun now gonna own the internet? Um, so that was, some say a huge price, some say it was a, a, a low price given what was mm -hmm. purchased. What was the buyer buying and what, what does the successful bidder, A, do we know who that is and B, what are they getting exactly? As to who the successful bidder is, we'll find out because that, you know, once once the transfer of the token happens, that's on chain and it's public record. So you'll all find out soon enough. Uh, what the we should buyer, say, so what you're looking at now on the screen is is that source code that you the buyer got the video as well as a, a high-res yeah. image 
Um, but just so people know what they're looking at on the screen there, that is the source code written by Sir Tim Berners-Lee of the World yes. Wide Web, essentially created the internet. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. That, that's fine. Um, and to, to clarify, this is actually um, a visualization of the code. So they're, they're getting his original time-stamped and dated files all in their you know, folders and directories. And that was probably a little hard for some people to grasp. You know, not everybody interacts with items in, in, in the way that a coder would. So this video was created to help people interact with it in a different way to really visualize what it looked like as Sertain was writing that code. So the video comes with it, the files come with it. There's a SGB file that Sir Tim uh, created from the source code using Python, where you could you know, blow it up and to, into a huge, uh, if you wanted to project it on your wall and look at different details and zoom in on them. And then there's a, a letter, a, a modern letter that Sir Tim wrote, looking back on the process of creating the source code and contextualizing it and looking back on the importance of the invention. So right. there are four items that are packaged as an NFT. Right. And, and in trying to explain it, Sir Tim said it, it's sort of like if I created a poster and I signed it, but they're not buying the actual ownership rights to the code because that was never patented and it's free. <laughs> and so therefore it's not like they can collect royalties on that or suddenly <laughs> quote own the internet, correct? It's no different and uh, in, in the way I think about it, and, and I, I'm coming from a background of somebody who uh, has specialized in books and manuscripts, 17th century science, 20th century computing and technology. I look at it as a manuscript. The files are his original files. They're coming from the creator. He happened to write this document in a digital format rather than with ink on paper. If we sell, say, uh, a da Vinci manuscript, uh, the paper that it's written on isn't worth anything. It, it's worth zero. What you are buying is the history and the symbolism and the provenance. And that's the same thing here with Sir Tim's documents, right? Uh, the, the, the physicality or non-physicality of it has nothing to do with the value. It's the meaning, the symbolism, the history of it. It just so happens that this is a digital born asset NFTs are actually what has allowed us to sell this. You know, if Sir Tim had come to us 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had a way to certify that this digital file was coming from yeah. the creator. And, and there's been some fun things on the chat, people saying, you know, $5 million doesn't sound like a lot. And mm -hmm. by the way, did bidding really start at $1,000? And bidding mm -hmm. did start at $1,000 in part because nothing like this had ever been sold. So, you know, Sotheby's doesn't know where to start something like this. So yeah. it did start at a thousand and it was a, a week long period pretty quickly yeah. escalated. Yeah. I mean, when, I, when I'm presented with artifacts to sell, that's part of my job is I'm, I'm the person who puts the estimate on it. I'm right. a USPAP certified appraiser so I could do you know, appraisals for the federal government. Um, and something like this, you're right, a digital asset like this has not sold before. Um, I could have tried to put an estimate. I'm also a very firm believer in letting the market dictate value. I believed in this asset. I believed that it would sell for what it was worth. Um, so 
when you sell something at essentially no reserve or starting at $1,000, that demonstrates a real confidence in the value of the item. And, you know, that was proved through the course of the auction. And just between you and I, did you think it would sell for more or less than that? Just peep in your gut. <laughs> uh, nice question. I <laughs> never, you know, prior to the prior to the auction, people were asking me, what do you think it will sell for? I never, yeah. I never do that. Right. I never okay. do that. Um, so I think it sold for what it should have sold for. Yeah. So, so let's go to NFTs. And, and this is a market that rose to insane heights in March and April. You know, we <laughs> saw everything from the NBA top shop moments to the people to the, the crypto punks um, to, you know, Sotheby's had some terrific um, collaborations with PAC. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, prices, participation, uh, sales volume fell quite dramatically in part and in tandem with crypto. And so I guess my first question is how much of this is simply a offshoot of crypto and therefore it will rise and fall with crypto? And secondly, how do you see the whole value and legitimacy of NFTs given this big rise and fall? Uh, so, so I guess to start out, what do you think is the core sort of definition of an NFT, particularly one that will survive? From my perspective, uh, again, as somebody who has spent 18 years handling physical objects, for me, an NFT is a, a mechanism that allows us to sell digital assets. And, and that's all it is. It's a token that is tied to a non-fungible item. The NFTs by themselves have no value, right? Um, so they're a tool for me and, and they can be used to sell a digital asset. I think there are a lot of really interesting applications uh, helping to prove certain types of provenance, for example, um, and sorry, if you could repeat the second part of the question. No, I, I, no, I, I guess I just wonder, you know, th there was so much flooding the market from Taco right. Bell NFTs to Playboy to, I mean, everybody got an NFT. So I, I guess, what would you define as a true NFT and what do you think will last after the boom and what may be a bust already? Mm -hmm. No, I think I think you're right that there probably is something going on there with being tied to crypto, and you see that that parallel fluctuation between the value of these assets that are being sold at auction and the value of cryptocurrency. So clearly, there's something there. Uh, I don't know that we have enough data to really say what is a real NFT and what isn't. Uh, looking at any other markets. Uh, where you have the first time something has occurred. Uh, and looking back at Apple One computers that I've sold, I sold one several years ago for $950,000, which is still the world record price. And then several flooded onto the market after that, and the prices really dipped. And that happens very frequently, where there's a first sale and everybody scrambles to get in there and sell something. And then there's like a, a big dip. And then sometimes it, comes back. Um, so I think it's probable that we'll, we're seeing something like that. There was just a boom. Everybody trying to scramble and get in there like, oh my gosh, I'm going to I'm gonna sell an NFT. Uh, I do think that there are some things that should be NFTs and some things that should not be NFTs. 
looking at the source code for the World Wide Web, there is no other way to sell it. It was a, a digital born artifacts that was not created with the intent of being sold. It just was prior to NFTs. There are some things that, and maybe they make sense to other people, but to me, I, I'm not sure I understand why you might, I don't know, you know, make a car into an NFT. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but maybe, you know, uh, in these metaverses and in places like Decentraland, uh, which are, you know, simulated worlds where you can buy and sell goods such as watches and cars people uh people yeah. like to buy things like and they that. just sold a piece of um virtual real estate for a half million dollars so it's it's yeah. amazing let me talk about uh what we're showing now which is this collaboration between jay-z and Derek adams that sotheby's mm -hmm. is involved in tell us about that tell us about um what what it actually is and mm -hmm. sort of the moment in time that represents both in hip-hop mm -hmm. Jay-Z's incredible business career that we've seen. He just sold, sold his champagne company to LVMH um, and, and what it means for the NFT market. This was a really interesting one. So Jay-Z's team had uh, reached out to me wanting to do something to commemorate the 25th anniversary of Reasonable Doubt. And he commissioned the contemporary artist Derek Adams to um, create an artwork inspired by the original cover art of the album. And so this piece, uh, the, the, the material referenced by the NFT is based on an actual oil painting that Jay commissioned that hangs in his house uh, that Derek Adams then turned into this uh, an animated NFT. And this NFT in particular was really interesting because Jay minted it himself. So the record shows that Sean Carter was the creator of the token. Derek Adams created the artwork. <laughs> Jay created the token. And that's a really interesting thing when you um, look at our descriptions. Uh, and, and if you're looking at an NFT in a place like OpenSea, for example, the creators and owners of the tokens, that's a matter of public record like you can right. see who owns it you can see who minted it you can see the company that that actually wrote the code for the minting and that's really interesting because in the traditional auction world that's not something we would do normally that information is completely confidential the seller and the buyers we would never reveal their their information and that's that's uh, a big difference when we're looking at sales of nfts that are recorded on the blockchain and, and to me, you know, having studied this for six or eight months, what will last in this, or one of the things that will last from NFTs is the ability to take a physical object and give it a digital registration and ownership <laughs> history on the blockchain that you really can't do as well in any other way. And obviously the auction houses have been in the business of authenticating and determining the provenance of everything that they sell. but in what way, I guess I would ask, are NFTs, or I guess more importantly, the blockchain, perhaps have a brighter future, just mm -hmm. authenticating and providing a history of ownership for physical, whether, whether it is a car, or whether it is a Picasso, or whether it is an old computer? That, that uh, I'm glad you brought that up, because that, for me, is one of the more exciting applications for NFTs, uh, being somebody who 
sells a lot of items where the value is derived from the provenance, the ownership history. An example would be, if anybody in this audience is familiar with uh, the Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman, uh, I've sold his Nobel Prize and his papers, and I, I actually have his challenger, his Rogers Commission challenger notes that I'm selling this week. Um, one of the items that I sold that belonged to him were his bongo drums. Now, he didn't sign them. He didn't put a mark on them. You know, so I picked them up from his home, his family home. I know they're his. We've sold them to the buyer. They have their receipt. But if something happens and they lose that receipt and there, there isn't a, an independent way to verify that they didn't swap out another pair of bongo drums, in 20 years, if they want to go sell them, it's going to be very difficult to prove that they are Richard Feynman's. I so there's see. a job that I think both Tyler and I would love is the bongo drum authentication expert. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's that what, was... <laughs> what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I was to, to play those bongo drums. <laughs> but um, what NFTs can do in instances like this, we actually, you know, at Sotheby's have a high uh, res scanner where we can create a digital twin of any object. And then you can mint an NFT that references this digital twin and you can put any metadata into that um, NFT that you want. This is Richard Feynman's bongo, it was sold on this date, you know, whatever you wanna say. But that information is always on chain. So then you can go about your merry way with your bongo drums and have a bongo drum party if you like. Your children, if they inherit those drums, can come back to us and we can actually scan those drums and confirm that that is the set of drums that we sold. Or that actually, no, this is a, a replica or a different set of drums that you've swapped out. Right. And that is huge for many of the things that I, that I sell.